All right, here we go. Pulling out of my driveway. See so you know what that means? It is time for driving on the road with Cobra. Or we're gonna go with on the road with Cobra. Or driving with Cobra? Driving with Cobra doesn't sound half bad. How about that, folks? Welcome to Driving with Cobra. It is Friday the 13th, and I am currently on my way to my friend Mike's house. We're uh, starting up a new pen and paper role-playing game campaign, and it'll be the first time in quite some time that I have uh, played without writing. So that's the nerdy component there. All right, folks. Turn. Here we go. All right. So for those of you that are new, because this is probably the first published episode of Driving with Cobra, I record this on my phone while we are driving down the road as I'm on my way to somewhere sometime. And just kind of meandering talk where I talk about whatever's on my head, on my mind, and y'all just are listening to it because you're bored or you're on the road yourself, you've got nobody to hang with, or maybe it's nighttime and you're looking to sleep and you just want something to listen to. How long are the episodes? Well, they're as long as the drive takes. I expect today's episode's gonna be about 29, 30 minutes, because that's about how far away Mike lives. And uh, working on not saying, um, I don't know if we're gonna do much of an editing on this, or if you'll all just have to get used to my speaking mannerisms. Since this is off the top of my head, and I'm talking by myself and not like in a conversation with someone, I expect that some of the terms of phrase and what I'm saying is gonna come off a little bit funny at times. We'll all get the heck of it with each other, though. And that's all right. Now, you know, it's Friday the 13th, which, uh, in October, which makes this even funnier. What's, what's, you know, it's like, it's like a little Halloween before Halloween. It's kind of how it is. Uh, you got the one, three being reversed from the three, one, same month. And, uh, Friday the 13th has the spooky vibes, you know, it's got that old timey we have a couple teens in the house and it's funny because i don't I, I think that they're like oh, it's friday 13th that's about it but i remember when i was a kid and i'm a gen xer so back when i was a kid that had uh more spooky supernatural connotations i don't know necessarily that because anybody believed that the day was haunted or cursed or whatever although maybe so i feel like the world was a little more what's the word a word that has to do with a belief. Superstitious. The real world was a little bit more superstitious. And so I think maybe at the same time, though, that meant we had a little bit more fun with those things. Whereas I think a lot of people are just trying to get on with life and not think about all the terribleness that's going on in the news, which makes them not worry about ghosts, possessions, evil spirits, and whatever other nonsense might be going on Friday the 13th. The most convincing story that I've heard about the origin of Friday the 13th why the number 13 in Western society has its spooky connotations. Because I think in a lot of other cultures, for example, Eastern cultures, uh, the number is just another number to them. They have their own spooky numbers. But um, supposedly 13 and Friday the 13th in particular is unlucky due to a uh, event that led to the end of the Knights Templar, where a bunch of them were executed or arrested and then later executed on Friday the 13th due to various contesting powers kind of being tired of dealing with the Knights Templar and wanting to get rid of them and steal all of their wealth. I don't know how true that is, but it does make a great story. By the way, folks, uh, since I am driving, there's going to be some car noise. You might be able to hear the vent in the back there because I am running the vent to keep the car at a comfortable temperature. And you all are just going to have to let me know how annoying that comes through. I'm probably going to try to throw this into Adobe Premiere or another such app 
that has pretty good audio scrubbing. And then we'll go ahead and see how that audio scrubbing does the trick. But that's not it. Listen to me. I already distracted myself from the Friday the 13th story. But yeah, Knights Templar. Look it up. Go to Wikipedia. Get a book. Talk to an old person who's an expert. And uh, let me know. How can you let me know? I don't know yet. This is a brand new podcast, which is me talking to myself. And then I have to go through all the trouble of figuring out how to publish it. So uh, we'll get around to that. I think it's going to be a few episodes before there's anything resembling a a web page or a Discord or whatever you might use as a way to communicate with me. Because I'm not going to give you my personal email address. I don't need that, right? But when we do get around to that, where do you all live? What's your life like? How's your day going? How's your week? We're here in spooky season, and there's a lot that I love about spooky season. One, it's the change of the seasons. I love fall. Moving from summer to autumn, uh, going away from that heat into the, 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 the chill of autumn, but it's not too chill. The moodiness and, and lighting changes, it's just not that unending, brilliant summer. And I know some people love summer, but it's, summer's just not nuanced. Summer's a very flat season, if you ask me. Whereas uh, there's a lot of different faces. And don't get me wrong, summer's fun when it first shows up and there are things about it. But unless you're a really big outdoors person, then some of that fun is maybe spoiled. I don't, I don't skateboard. I don't spend a bunch of time out on the streets with my friends. I don't go to the beach. I'm not a big camper. A lot of that's just kind of wasted on me. Some of that I might appreciate it more when I was young. And that's because I had more energy then, and there was less things to do online. Uh, But uh, this time of year, while I appreciate all the weather and stuff, it's nice to visit it, but I don't have to lurk out and stay out in it. I can gaze at it through the window or appreciate it on the drive, uh, sipping a pumpkin-flavored coffee or pumpkin-flavored beer, because that's the world we live in, those kind of wonderful things. Uh, I love that about the greater spooky season, the greater autumn season. And October is its own special subset of that joy. Like, a lot of the pumpkin beers are uh, kind of an August phenomenon, August and September. Uh, By this time, by the time you actually hit October proper, they're starting to uh, get a little harder to find. And then a lot of that has to do with the timing of pumpkin harvests, the way the brewing works. Uh, Of course, then again, a lot there are a lot of pumpkin beers that don't even really have pumpkin in them. What you're thinking of is pumpkin. Our flavors associated with pumpkin pie, so it's more about spice. But you know, this is the same thing for a lot of pumpkin stuff. So, you know, uh, a lot of it's burned out before we even get to Halloween, uh, let alone Thanksgiving. But we're not in Thanksgiving territory yet. We're still in that August, mid-October. So we're pre-Halloween. So I October is the spooky season part of autumn. Oh my gosh, the people in front of me are driving like at least five miles an hour below the speed. And I'm an impatient man. Got on the road a little bit later than I would have liked because I was expecting to be at Mike's already by now, folks. And I'm not there yet because other people's schedules did not go the way I thought it would. You know, that's life, right? Things don't always go the way you'll think it will. Yeah. So what's your favorite part of spooky season? I love the idea of Halloween, but I hate spending money on costumes. And I'm not so crafty and adventurous that I'm the kind of guy who loves making his own costume. Like, that's, that's a lot of work. And I've got some friends that love costumes. I've got some friends that are great at it. And I used to hang out with some cosplayers. We want to talk about people who love costumes. Holy cow. And my current lady, she, uh, 
She loves the idea of dressing up, but she's not so organized either to prepare it all. Where it'd be like, okay, hey, you handle this, I'll go along with it. Instead, it's kind of like always this last minute frenzy, which means there's less options. Uh, like this weekend is probably the last weekend you can viably even find some of the good Halloween costume stuff at stores. So you're already in kind of that territory of just doing it yourself. But I don't even have the creativeness of, say, the kids from Bob's Burgers, where they always make their own costumes out of all sorts of crazy random household stuff. It just looks like so much effort. But they're very creative. I love that. It's a good show. Bob's Burgers. I like that. It's one of my go-to bedtime story shows. Little shows you watch right before bed or maybe when you first climb into bed. Okay, people do not turn in front of me. Yeah. Funny how all that works. What kind of verbal tics I have? If I go back and listen to this, I'll probably do this. How about yourself? Do you got a lot of verbal tics? And you're like, what are verbal tics? And uh, verbal tics are kind of like mannerisms, methods of speech, things that you do in casual speech that are not quite, quote unquote, proper, normal language or uh, their specific uh, phrases or uh, such. Sorry, I had a message coming through. I think you all just heard the beep. The uh, specific messages and stuff. Uh, gosh, that's... Sorry, that, that broke. We tried not. But verbal tics are, are like somebody saying, or maybe repeating a certain phrase. Uh, I had one friend once upon a time say they noticed that I'll end a lot of sentences with the Terminator anyway. So, so like his concept there of a Terminator. And I don't know enough about linguistics to know if this is like a a specific thing in terminators, but essentially it was a way of ending certain kinds of sentences that I brought up a lot, which was like, anyways. And to me, that kind of makes sense. It's a use of the word that I never realized that I'd done until somebody pointed out to me, now I can never not hear it. And I'm not sure if it's a local colloquialism of where I grew up or a family thing, like maybe I picked it up from my stepdad or something like that, which I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised then. But it was funny because, you know, he, he asked me if this particular friend was from Chicago. And uh, I live up here in Washington State now, up here in the Pacific Northwest. And I came from Northern California. So uh, both of us don't speak quite, you know, the same form of English that this part of Washington speaks. You know, I speak with a, a West Coast accent. And Northern California is essentially the part of the Pacific Northwest. It's like the very southern part of it. Some people try to say it's like Oregon enough, but uh, a, a lot of the far side of Northern California shares a lot of little cultural elements with Southern Oregon. So there's a little bit of overlap there. So it's kind of part of that greater. And uh, he lived in Washington for some time. And uh, so some of his Chicagoan speech patterns had uh, shifted a little bit over time, but he still really kind of noticed things. And it's funny, when I first moved up here, I noticed that a lot of uh, this part of Washington it's very close to the border with Canada has a lot of little Canadianisms that have crept in from the British Columbians and it's subtle but you kind of notice it there it's kind of this very I don't know this very mayonnaise white bread mesh of the Washingtonian accent that it just not it's kind of hilarious but because of that he picked out some things about the way I speak some of which is I think pretty typical Californian accent, especially for the North State. But I do wonder about what vocal mannerisms and tics I have that are just a side effect of, say, my stepdad, my mom, and stuff like that. And, and, and it kind of makes me, you know, there's that fascinating thing about, like, linguistic experts, people who can pick up that stuff, where they can tell where somebody grew up, or they can maybe tell you know, where members of your family might have come from and stuff, and all those little subtle nuances. 
you know, you've got people that they're first generation in this country. Their parents were immigrants. They came from, like, say, a non-English speaking country. And so they grew up here and sometimes they have, like, no real noticeable accent, but they have certain word choices or certain phrases that are kind of betray it. Um, and when they're speaking in English, or sometimes they do have an accent because they spent a lot of time amongst like a uh, an immigrant population, expat population. And I, th- I think that kind of stuff about culture and language is so fascinating. I mean, me and most of my family has been in the U.S. for well, the pence. Some of them came over uh, pre-revolution and then some of them came over when the Mormons were a big deal. It's my mother's family are got it on the ground movement of Mormonism. Thought it was a great idea, but it's like, hey, let's move to a great crazy desert. Says a little bit about my mom's family. Nice people. And so like <laughs> my ancestors come from, you know, the kind of places you'd expect that. A lot of them are Scottish and Irish. There's some English and Welsh in there. There is a little bit supposedly, I want to say the word is Dutch. What do you call people from the Netherlands? That's Dutch? I think that's Dutch. But primarily, you know, people from very much English-speaking countries. And and they've been here for a while. So a lot of those little mannerisms that might have come over have just been kind of blended and churned over time. Instead being replaced by American mannerisms that uh, are there. Because a lot of those are culture groups where those families, at least in my parents' cases, uh, they didn't hold on to those identities. Like there's some families that are German descent or came from the regions that became Germany, or some families that are Dutch descent or Irish descent, where uh, that's that cultural uh, stuff is a big part of their identity, which is really interesting to me. This on my family. If anything, from my mom's side, they got so in on the Mormon thing that uh, my mother's family uh, is from Idaho. Yeah, we're Mormons. Yeah, like that just kind of ground out a lot of any other cultural elements. Like they, they came over back when, when the Mormons first came over. They came across the country then, and they've been there that long. That's just a, a huge element of them culturally. Except as family, very English originally. And never that well to do. Farmers, so also very conservative. I mean, well, I mean, I suppose some of them nowadays are very conservative, but more just, you know, traditionalists that kind of swept the like warmed out to make any big waves. You know, she came out this way, farming, following trees, following churches, which is interesting. Whereas my dad's family, my biological father, and my, my dad's family is a big part. Yeah, guys, his speed limit is seven. There's a, a police car on the side of the road. Uh, Howard Cholman watching. Everybody slammed on the brakes to slow down, going 70. And the 70 mile an hour speed limit. Yeah, so my dad's family, uh, uh, my grandparents, uh, the only real grandparents I had were my dad's. And uh, my dad did have more influence when he was young, um, but I was raised by my mom and my stepdad. And as an adult, my dad's not really been a huge part of my life. Um, but like uh, the, uh, that side of the family, my dad's family, they're very, uh, very much of a mixture of Scottish and Irish descent. But, you know, they, you wouldn't know it. Uh, Bumberjacks uh, always been wandering from place to place. So they've kind of been a part of that kind of culture of people that were a combination of lumbermen and and each generation kind of grew up in a different town than the last one did. My grandpa grew up in New Mexico. My dad grew up originally in Oregon and then moved to California as a, as a young man. And then I grew up in California. 
And now I live here in Washington, and I've got a son. He's going to grow up here, probably. Uh, and that's just, I mean, that's probably more and more common nowadays. An interesting thought for you all is the idea, if your family had put down roots before you came, how different would your life have been? And then you get sometimes the opposite problem, where a family does put down roots, but instead of a generational wealth, you're inheriting poverty other negative factors, reputations and such that are coming along with the in a family that, that you know wasn't passing down anything. And yeah, they've been here for a few for a while, but they're they're near new wells, as as my phraseology. Oh come on, folks, speed limit is seventy here. Please. You guys are like the lead car in this particular pack is going sixty five in the fast lane, which is barely faster than the demons was trying to pass. And so it's just kind of compressing to don't compress the lane, folks. If you're not gonna go fast, pull over and let somebody else don't drive like a jerk. But yeah, no, um generational aspects can be a bit or a bang in a family. And then sometimes you go from families like mine, a very few of the people in my father's family ever stayed put more than one or two generations and the ones that did well that's the branches of the family that have got like distinguished and fancy and then kind of like like well what do you get you know you guys are the such and such ones as you know with the sons that did with the hair the ones who moved around joined the navy it's kind of beautiful here i love coming to vines because i live in a area that is fairly wooded kind of a dense hills and uh there's not a ton of view there and if you head into town, then there's kind of this sloping, sloping city kind of goes down and into the ocean. And parts of that can be quite beautiful, but there's no real view from where I'm behind. Now here on the other side, here we are in, I'm not going to give away the name because I don't want to where my friend Mike lives. But now uh, driving down to his place, we come down out of that wooded area into a valley because he lives in a valley. Like and when I say valley, not like a little narrow valley. No, I mean like a big, the big kind where there's mountains further away on the sides and the valley floor is mostly flat with um, occasional star hills that jump out kind of covered in trees but most of it's this flat terrain which is wonderful for farming and stuff and there's a, a river that cuts through here but it gives that really dynamic cold view where you've got hills in the distance leading off to the mountains that are, that are close enough to see but the land itself is flat so you have a great long distance view where it's not blocked by some copses of trees here and there. And then you've got these stark little great uh, hills that just kind of rise out here and there, adding some beautiful contents. Like, like you've got the shots aligned for the right angles. It's, you get some beautiful shots here for for a Star Wars show or something like that, where you're looking just for something kind of dynamic. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of where I grew up in Northern California, because I grew up at the northern end of the Central Valley which is like a large-scale version of this. Uh, it's very flat there in the valley, by and large. And then you've got you know, mountains, and then like little foothills, and then an actual mountain, like some volcanoes, and some actual mountains. Uh, so, you know, you, you're never anywhere where you don't see mountains and hills. It isn't so flat that that's not visible, but there's this broad openness that sits inside that. And this place is like that on a miniature scale, but it's got some gorgeous big sky where you could just see a distance and uh which makes for really dynamic clouds to look at sky to look at uh where's where i live my house uh, all surrounded so much by, by so many trees that uh i can't see the sky 
in the right area. But I don't get these grave vistas. Uh, you don't see as far. Your eyes don't get an excuse to focus as far. There is no horizon where my house is. And if I head into town, depending on the part of town, you'll see a little bit more. But again, most of the town that I live in, unless you're down close to the water, you're not going to see these vistas. And even if you are down close to the water, well, then you see the water, which then that view isn't out to the ocean because it's a sound and there are, there are islands out there. San Juan Islands. So it's a, yeah, that's that. We're here in Western Washington. That's not a shock. We all kind of do that. So it's always fun to come up here. Uh, even on a cloudy day like this, there's still some. And then I'm going to go sit inside in a, a room and uh, hang out with these live friends. And I won't see these views. And I always think about, I would love to get my lady out here on a day where the weather's right and go with my friends uh, that live over here, uh, Mike and his wife. You know, go to a brewery or a bar or a restaurant or somewhere that's got a good view. But I never really find the time for that. Do any of us really find the time for that? I don't know. It's complicated. I have a toddler. So that's my excuse. So that's hard. So, you know, it, it is hard to find that time to break away. I miss the casual freedom of the before times, before the pandemic, as I call it, the before times. But I do have a good life. And I do get to come see my friends. But I do miss some of the casualness that existed in the before times that doesn't seem to exist now. And maybe when my toddler's a little older, and therefore it's a little easier to break him along on a thing without him going madhouse. Door. But let's look at that. Oh, it's going to be getting all modern. I'm a happy man and I live a happy life. But life is always about change. And also, life is about longing. Uh, the trick is whether or not you can walk that middle path to kind of quote from the, the Buddhists. Little Buddhism there. Without the extremes. You don't want extreme suffering. Uh, you know, uh, the idea there coming from the Buddhist experience with trying out those cults that do extreme deprivation and try to use suffering as a way to purify themselves and to seek holiness. You know, when it's the other extreme, gluttony and deprivations and that sort of thing where you kind of like lose yourself to excess. So it's that middle road where you're trying to minimize suffering, but also not trying to go to excess and trying to find a peace and a happiness in that. And that is the thing. Like my life is pretty good, all things considered. Um, and I think a lot of us actually have a life that's pretty good, but we just make the mistake of trying to chase a high and an extreme and not focusing on the little things that make us happy here in the moment and now in that middle path of daily life. And there's an orange front door there, friends. That is that is Mike's door. I'm really jealous of the store. It's a nice door. I still have to finish some of the painting in my house. But that means that I am here at Mike's. I want to thank you all for coming along on this ride with me. Uh, driving with Cobra. Uh, look at that. 30 minutes, 44 seconds when I check the time. I told you folks it'd be about 29 minutes or so. All right, everybody, have yourself a wonderful day or a wonderful week or a wonderful month, depending on what things are going on out there. I will hopefully get this actually edited and published and we can get this podcast going. So yeah, this was episode one of um, Driving with Cobra and you have a wonderful time.